Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today, or if you're watching from home, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ruth chapter two. We're in a sermon series, working our way through this book. And man, God has teach, is teaching me a lot through this. And I hope last week was a blessing. Just to kind of recap, last week we saw that there was a man by the name of Elimelech and uh, he moved his family away from Bethlehem into a, a, an area known as Moab. And when he did that, he's basically disobeying God because God had told his people to live in the promised land. And, uh, but he moves his wife, Naomi, his two sons with him. When they get there, his two sons marry Moabite women. Uh, again, not a good thing because uh, God specifically told the Israelites to marry those who worship and serve God, not pay. Uh, uh, idols. And so uh, that was an issue as well. While they're in Moab, Moab uh, Elimelech dies and both of the sons die as well. You can imagine Ruth was devastated. Uh, you can imagine Naomi was devastated. And in that moment, Ruth decided to return to God. So return to the people of God, return to the city of God, the presence of God. And she tells her daughter-in-laws to go home and basically go back to your family. And, and uh, Orpah, one of them says, you know what? Sounds like a good idea. You don't have anything for me. No hope, no future. So she moves back. But Ruth clung to uh, Naomi and essentially we saw her conversion experience. We saw her come to faith. She, she decides to serve God. She decides to move to the people of God and away from her family and away from the idols that her people worshiped. And uh, when she is doing this, it shows us what you and I need to do as well when we face situations in our life where it feels like life is kind of falling apart. And we've all kind of gone through tragedy, trial, suffering. And uh, when we're going through that experience, it's vitally important that instead of running to other things, we first and foremost return to God. And that's what we see Naomi doing. That's what we see Ruth doing. And uh, when they arrive, they don't really understand everything that God is doing in their life. I mean, they don't really see the, 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 the writing that God is doing behind the scenes, directing and, and, and leading them in their life. And, and that's often true for us as well. We can't necessarily see what God is doing through the windshield of our life in the moment. But oftentimes we can see God in the rearview mirror. In other words, after you go through it, after time goes by, then we can kind of step back and we can see God's hand guiding, God's hand providing, God's hand loving us through those really difficult situations. And so that's our encouragement from last week. This week in chapter two, we see uh, more amazing, awesome stuff. So let's look uh, at verse one in chapter two and we'll see what the word of God tells us today. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Good, strong name, right? And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean, glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she sat out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. All right, 
few things happening here that I want us to see. First of all, in, in verse one, we're introduced to this man named Boaz. He's called a worthy man. In fact, I wanna spend some time today talking about what it looks like to be a worthy man. But, but before we get there, let's just recognize and, and see some other things that are happening here. First of all, Ruth is actually saying, hey, I wanna go to the field and I want to glean. So here's what I love about Ruth and here's what I, I hope you can be encouraged by when you look at her life today. Uh, she's, uh, you know, she saw her father-in-law pass away. She uh, saw her husband uh, pass away. She's moved to a brand new city. Uh, she's learning this new culture and, and uh, she's poor, uh, marginalized. She has nothing. But what does she do? Does she sit in her uh, room in the dark and sing, woe is me? Or does she, she get out of the house and do what uh, she knows she can do? She does her part. This demonstrates to me an act of faith. It's not her just you know, hiding in her room saying, God, give me a miracle and God do this and praying to God is, is, is great and we need to do that. But you also have to get your butt out of bed and you gotta go live your life and you have to do your part. And that's what I love about Ruth right now. She's going to glean in the fields. Now, what in the world does gleaning in the field here actually mean? Um, it's actually a, a law that God gives to the people of Israel. And it was essentially a way for the people of God to care for the poor and the marginalized in their area, in their city. It was basically how they would share a portion of their crops with those who needed it. And so Boaz owning the field, he's the businessman, he's the farmer. He would uh, harvest everything in his field except for the borders of his property. And the borders uh, were there. Uh, the margin was there for the marginalized people in the area. And that was God's way of taking care of the people. And so those who were poor would come on the edges of the field and they would glean. They would, they would harvest the crop. Now, this wasn't a handout. You know, this wasn't just, you know, poor people, here's free stuff. They actually had to go work for it. So they had to harvest the, 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 the crop. They had to go through the whole sifting process and, 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 you know, manage that crop until it was ready for them to be able to eat and, and uh, use for themselves. But, but it was a way for the, the, the margins of Boaz's life to be shared with the marginalized uh, there. Would have been very dangerous work. Uh, especially for a young woman, would have been dangerous because she is a foreigner. Uh, but here she is, she's going to the fields, she's going to actually glean. Now in verse three, it says that it, it, it happened, she happened to come to the field of Boaz. So this happened to come is, is really a Hebrew word that's kind of a, a play on words. It's kind of like a wink, wink. It just so happened, kind of, you know, uh, kind of giving us the nod and the wink uh, because uh, the writer of Ruth knows that there are no accidents in life that nothing happens by chance. Uh, luck is not a thing in the Christian worldview. Uh, in the Christian worldview, we read the Bible and we see that God's providence is directing, leading, and allowing us to cross paths with individuals. He's opening doors, he's shutting doors. God is the one directing. Karma is not a real thing. Luck is not a, a, a thing. God's providence is at play here. And this is exactly what we're seeing as Ruth meets Boaz, uh, she just so happened to go to his field at the time that it just so happened he walked in the field, right? 
And what I love about this is it kind of gives us that understanding that God's gonna do the same thing in your life. In fact, he has done the same thing in your life. And it's important for us to slow down and look back and remember those times in our life where it just so happened moments happened for you. Uh, it just so happened in Maryville, Tennessee, that a business went out of business and wanted to sell their building. And it just so happened that Foothills Church needed a building at that time, right? And, you know, 12 years later, here we are. Um, it just so happened that my friend from high school married Micah's friend from high school. And it just so happened that we were both in the wedding. And it just so happened that the wedding coordinator, God bless her, put us together in the wedding, right? And so God just kind of set it up, the, the, the whole thing. And he's like, there you go, big guy. The rest is up to you, right? And so it just so happened, uh, moments happened all throughout my life. And when I pause and I reflect upon them and I think about them, my praise for God increases, my faith increases because it's in the rearview mirror that we can look back at our life and see the providence and hand of God. And we don't, they don't necessarily see it right now, but as we get through the, the course of chapter two, they're gonna see it more and more and more um, as they see the hand of God in their life, guiding them through the entire process. Um, in verses five in, uh, through seven, Boaz has this conversation with the foreman, the guy that's kind of running the, the, uh, the, the harvest at that time. And he's like, who is this woman? I mean, uh, by, you know, most commentators are gonna say, uh, Ruth must have been a, a beautiful woman. She is a foreigner. So she kind of kind of stands out and, and, and Boaz notices her, right? And so he's noticing her and uh, he gets the story that, oh, this is uh, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. He's heard about her. He heard about her conversion. Uh, he heard about her faith in God and left everything to come uh, to the people of God. And then he has his first conversation uh, with Ruth. Now, all the single guys in the room, uh, this is a worthy man to emulate. So we're gonna notice some things that he's doing. Um, and uh, it starts with this conversation here, uh, beginning in verse eight. It says, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in the other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her uh, roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. And she even had some that was left over. 
when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Um, All right, lots of things happening here, love it. Uh, In verse one, let me remind you, Boaz was called a worthy man. So who is this guy? What makes him worthy? Now, first of all, uh, the, the Hebrew word that's used there, worthy man, literally means a man of wealth and standing, a well-to-do man of property and wealth. So this tells us that Boaz had considerable position and influence in Bethlehem at the time. And it meant that he was a strong leader. It meant that he was a business leader. He was a good, godly man. In fact, uh, many years later, uh, when Solomon built the temple, one of the columns of the temple actually had the inscription uh, in the name Boaz. So we see the kind of influence that he actually had amongst his people and the legacy that he left. So uh, as we look at this section, again, I want us to point out what the, the qualities and what are the characteristics of this good godly man named Boaz. Uh, all the single ladies in the room, this is the kind of man you wanna look for. These are the kind of qualities you wanna see in him. Um, young men, single men, this is the kind of man you should aspire to become. Married men in the room, this is the kind of man that we should aspire to be like and emulate. And, and uh, wives, if, if your husband is lacking in any of these, you can have a great conversation later today and talk all about it. Uh, it'll be lovely. Uh, so here are three characteristics of a worthy man. Number one, a worthy man is kind, right? Um, in verse 13, Ruth says to Boaz that, Uh, She is thanking him for comforting him, uh, for comforting her and for being kind to her, right? And so we see in Boaz, yes, he's a leader. Yes, he's a businessman. Yes, he's a strong leader. And yet he has compassion towards her and he shows kindness to her as well. Uh, Men, ask yourself this question. Are you kind to women around you? Single men, are you kind to the single ladies in your sphere of influence? Husbands, are you kind to your wife? Now, most men, when when they hear that question, they say, well, as a matter of fact, I am. (laughs) Because we all think we're kind, don't we? We all think we're good, right? But the reality is you need to ask your girlfriend. You need to ask your wife. You need to ask her and say, am I a genuinely kind person? And, and, and be ready for like that, that awesome conversation like, like you have before, like you can, I've seen, you know? And, and, and instead of arguing about it, like we look to Boaz and we're like, this is the kind of dude I want to be. He's the kind of guy that I wanna emulate in my life. Now, guys don't go, uh, you know, grab coffee. We don't meet together at restaurants to watch NBA games or football games. And, uh, you know, as, as we're sipping on our coffee, we don't say, hey, so like, how's your kindness doing? <laughs> like, we don't have that conversation. That's why you need to have that conversation with your wife, your girlfriend, uh, because she's the one that can actually give you genuine feedback here. Uh, he's, he's compassionate. Yeah, he's strong. 
Uh, but, but what he's showing us here is that, that yes, uh, God wants us and desires for us to show uh, kindness. So we're, we're seeing God cares about the poor and the marginalized. So he creates this law uh, so that uh, they could come and glean. The, the poor in the area could come and glean in, in, in the field. And, and, and the reality is God has given a lot of laws to the people of God and they don't follow many of them. But here Boaz is following it. So not only is he kind, compassionate, he's showing generosity here. He's following and trusting God by following uh, the, the, the principle of gleaning. In verse 14, he does a little wine and dine, right? At lunchtime, um, he, he, he kind of brings her in. Let's have some lunch. Here's some wine. Here's some, here's some bread. And, and uh, oh, here's some roasted grain. So uh, my, my man knows how to grill over the fire, you know? I don't know if he's using the, the classic Weber. I don't know if he's gone the whole distance for the green egg, but man, he, he's got it going on here. Like he's, 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 he's grilling up some food uh, for his, his, uh, this, this girl that he's interested in, obviously. This love is kind of developing. This interest is there. Single guys, first date, uh, you don't wanna just show up at the fast food place, right? Not a good start. You know, you need to go strong on the first day. You need to stay consistent, you know, um, with that approach. And, and ladies, little pro tip for you. It says that she had leftovers, right? <laughs> Date number one, might not want to go for the 16 ounce porterhouse. Throw that baby down. Like might want to just take it easy there to kind of send the right signals. I'm just saying it's in the Bible. I'm not, don't hate me. It's in the Bible, Right. And uh, so we're, we're seeing this, this romance beginning to develop. We've got some bread, we've got some wine, right? Things are moving. And, 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 and here's Boaz. He is a tough, tough business leader, well-known in the city, but he's also kind. There's a lot of tough men in the room, but I wonder if you're willing to show kindness to women in your life. If you're willing to show kindness to uh, your wife, uh, perhaps if you're single, your girlfriend, is that consistent in your life? Uh, to be a worthy man, use your words to comfort, but also demonstrate kindness with your actions, right? Secondly here, a worthy man, he knows how to handle money. Boaz is a great, great leader for us here because he shows us that he is a wealthy man. He is a, a man of God and he understands how to use and handle money. Uh, again, the Hebrew word here means a man of wealth, a man of, of standing, uh, a man that would have had property. And obviously uh, he does because it's his field uh, that they are working in. He, he's a business leader because he's got, he's got this whole business. He's got people working for him, right? And, 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 and they're serving together and uh, his leadership is, is seen in this story that we don't want to pass by too quickly because as a worthy man, it is a good, good thing, men, to uh, own businesses, run businesses, make money, lead people well. And then when that money comes, you are generous with that. In the church, money is really a divisive issue. Uh, and really in our culture, money is a divisive issue because it's very personal and there's a lot of envy and jealousy that takes place, especially in our culture. And um, when, when, when you kind of let your politics influence you more than the Bible, sometimes you only see people in our culture in two categories uh, when it comes to money. And one category is the rich. So there's the rich and then there's the poor. And poor people... 
you know, look down and think rich people are bad and rich people might look down on poor people and think they're bad. And then if you want to be in the middle, you kind of take that, I'm in the middle, right? Uh, Poor people, they're bad because they don't know what they're doing. But wealthy people are really bad too because they're just really, really selfish. And so I'm just gonna be in the middle and be holy, right? Well, in the Bible, the middle class, being in the middle class doesn't make you holy or righteous either. The Bible actually talks about four categories. And the first category is the righteous rich. So in the Bible, you're gonna see people who are righteous and they are rich. You're also gonna see in the Bible, those who are righteous and they're poor, right? They can be uh, you know, very righteous, live for God, but not have a lot of money. You're also gonna see unrighteous rich people and you're gonna see unrighteous poor people. Now, uh, when we look to the Bible, we see that Boaz is righteous and he's rich. He's smart. He has a, 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 a great business. He's using his money wisely, obviously. He works hard. He's treating people with kindness. He's treating his employees well. He's generous with what he has. Uh, we can see his leadership all throughout this story. Now, we also see Ruth and Ruth is righteous, but she is poor. She's homeless. She doesn't have anything really except one friend. Her best friend is a very bitter older woman, right? And she's got no money. She's got no job. She's got, she doesn't have a lot going for her, but she is righteous and she's poor. Now, you're also gonna see the unrighteous rich. And the unrighteous rich in the Bible, they love money, they envy money. And a lot of times they'll use people um, instead of loving people. And when they have money, all they do is they just spend it on themselves. They're not generous. They don't give to God's church. They don't use it for anything else other than for their own joy and their own purposes. But you're also gonna see unrighteous poor people. And unrighteous poor people just tend to spend all of their money on unrighteous things. And so they'll spend their money and they'll run up credit cards and you know, they'll basically just have a house, a car payment and nothing really left over. And, and so when we see that, we see, okay, there can be unrighteous poor people as well. Now, the question is this, when it comes to money, to have a good theology of wealth and money and the Bible, the question is this, are you living righteously with what God has given to you? I truly believe um, that as we are faithful with a little, um, I definitely believe God will give you more. Uh, I I believe that because that's not a, a prosperity gospel. That's actually the exact words of Jesus. Jesus tells a story, a a parable. It's called the parable of the talents. And in the story, he gives one man five talents and he gives another man two talents and he gives another one talent. And then the guy with five goes out and he doubles it. He makes five more. So he has 10 and the other one has two and he goes out and he doubles it and he comes back and now he has four. And the man with one comes back and says, I know you were kind of hard and I didn't want to, you know, you're you're a hard business leader. And so I just wanted to bring this back and I was fearful. And and, uh, the, the Bible actually says, Jesus actually calls that man, the master calls that man wicked and slothful. So you were evil and you were lazy with it. Jesus said, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Jesus is clearly saying like, whatever money you have, 
you should do your part to, to increase it and use it. Right. And, and, and when you see that clearly here, sometimes we think, whoa, whoa I don't, I'm, 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 is that really what Jesus is saying? And it's right here in the Bible. He says you should have at least put it in a savings account where it would have drawn interest. And when I came back, I would have gotten what belonged to me and a little bit of interest. In other words, you, you should have put it in a 401k or 401b, or you should have put it in a Roth IRA, traditional or whatever. You should have invested in the stock market. You should have done something with the resources that I had given you. You shouldn't have just spent it all on yourself. You shouldn't have just put, you know, kind of put it all back and, 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 and not used it to, to try to glorify God or, or use it for ministry. Proverbs 13, says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And that's a good man. So the question then becomes, am I broke because I'm not smart with money? Or maybe the question is, am I rich because I use all of this money for myself? Two very challenging and interesting questions that, that we should approach today, but it is possible to work hard, to be smart with your money. In verse 12, experience the full reward for your righteous life. Jesus says, if you're faithful with a little, I will bless you with more. So has God given you the ability to make money? Great, good. That is an honorable and worthy man. Just to ensure that no matter how much wealth you have, you're actually using that and, and, and you're being generous with it towards others. Um, some people in the room might say, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to live an inheritance for my children's children. So the, the, the encouragement for you is you need to get around guys that know how to do that and learn. It's not enough just to hide what you have. Jesus would say, invest it. And as you do that, the Lord will bless. You can either spend money, you can save money, or you can give money. That's basically all you can do with it. And so before you spend it, I would say, make sure you're, you're, you're actually faithful to the Lord in giving. And when you're faithful in giving, I think the next step is you need to be saving and investing that in however ways uh, you are, are, are seeing fit. And then thirdly, you can, you can spend it. And, and, and the Bible says, look, uh, money's not evil. The love of money is what is evil. And so when, when, when the Lord says, look, I, I want you to give some, I want you to save some, and then you can use some, right? And do it joyfully. So the Bible talks about giving joyfully, uh, not out of, oh man, I gotta give. Like, no, be joyful in giving, be joyful in saving, be joyful and enjoy the good gifts that God has actually given to you. It is not a sin to enjoy what God has in fact given to us. Boaz is leaving the borders of his field for the poor. The margins are for the marginalized. So the question that we need to pause and think about when it comes to this is, do you have margin in your life? Do you have enough margin financially in your life that you are willing and able to give, you are willing and able to invest, or are there no margins and you're just kind of tapped out every week, every month because you've got a phone, you've got a car, you've got a house, and, and that's basically it at the end of the month. That's where we come to this idea, no matter how much we have, the question is, are we being faithful with what God has actually given to us. 
The Bible is gonna teach us, do it with joy, give, uh, save, spend. Uh, Boaz would have also given a 10th of his crop to the temple for ministry. Now, 10th just simply means a tithe. And so that's where built into his business life, he most likely was, uh, was allowing the margins to be given to the poor. He's given a tenth to the temple for ministry. And then he's using the rest and, and blessing um, and using it how he sees fit. A worthy man knows how to handle money. Number three, we see that a worthy man protects. A worthy man protects. Now, when, when there is danger, this is the kind of man that's gonna step into the gap and protect, right? Uh, in verse eight, he says, don't go to another field. Why? Why not go to another field? I can't protect you over there. But if you're in my field, I can protect you. I've had conversations. I've told guys, they better not touch you. Uh, I, I can ensure that you are going to actually be safe uh, here. Boaz is protecting Ruth. If you're a business leader, I think it's important that as a worthy man of God, you do to the best of your ability, you protect your employees. You practically have good uh, alarm systems. You, you take care of them when they go through financial issues or problems in their life with whatever days they need off or financial uh, burdens. This is, this is how a good godly businessman protects his team, his staff. Uh, are you a man that will protect your daughters Will you protect your wife uh, emotionally and physically and spiritually uh, offering that protection? We're going to go to church. We're going to be in relationships. We're going to understand and lean into our spiritual life. This is what protects them spiritually. This is what protects us emotionally. When a man is, 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 is not just haphazardly living life and focused on his hobbies and doing his things, but he's intentional. And he says, no, if I'm gonna protect my family spiritually, I'm gonna have to pray together with them. I'm, I'm gonna have to encourage uh, uh, relationships that are going to bless and bring spiritual health, right? These are ways that we protect. And it's not just go get a Glock and be ready to shoot somebody. It's, it's actually spiritual. Um, are we emotionally protecting our wife? Like when, if she has a bad day and she's stressed out and she's, you know, emotionally, you know, having a, a rough time, do, do we have the compassion and the kindness to hear what she says? Listen and lovingly walk her through those emotions and, and encourage her. Or instead of protecting her emotionally, we just want her to shut up. Or you just want to get away, Right? So I think we see in Boaz a man who is willing uh, to not only protect physically, but he'll protect emotionally, spiritually. As a business leader, he is protecting uh, his employees as well. So it's important, I think, create that culture of, of valuing life. Create that culture uh, in your business or wherever you're working that, that values the input of women, that ensures that men aren't crude or men aren't, um, uh, being uh, rude to women. Uh, they're not being pushy or bossy towards women, but you're not only uh, creating that culture, but you're willing to hire women into that culture. Um, I think that's part of protecting our women and protecting uh, those ladies that would be in your life. Think about it like this. Um, if you're a husband and uh, we've all kind of been here, it's late at night, one, two, three o'clock in the morning, and you hear something at the front door or a window 
Everybody's probably going through that scary kind of moment. And in that, in that moment, husbands, you don't lean over to your wife in bed and wake her up. And you don't say, honey, I strongly believe in the equality of women. <laughs> and I think it's your turn <laughs> to go see what that noise is. <laughs> that is not a worthy man. Right? I don't care if your wife is a perfect marksman with her Glock 22 or 17. I don't care if she's a black belt in jujitsu. You better get your sorry butt out of bed, go to the door. And when you are bleeding and unconscious on the floor, then you, your, your black belt jujitsu wife can come out and handle the intruder. <laughs> but do your part first, okay? That's the willingness to protect. That's the willingness to uh, step forward in a time of need. Um, Boaz is protecting physically. He's protecting also materially. In verse 17, she co collected an ephah of wheat. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but commentators believe that that's somewhere between 35 and 50 pounds of wheat. Now, I don't know if you picked up a 50 pound weight lately, but that ain't light. And so she's carrying that over her shoulder. I don't know how she got it home, but she carries that. Plus she had the leftovers from the wine and dine lunch. Don't forget about that. <laughs> and so Boaz is protecting her materially here too. She's poor and rich, righteous Boaz has built in margin in his life to actually bless the righteous poor uh, around him. And so she takes all of this food uh, back to Naomi, bitter Naomi, right? But something happens here in verse 20 that we need to begin to notice. And so here's what happens. Verse 20, and it says, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, right? So Boaz, that you would be blessed by the Lord. Now the Lord is the subject of the sentence. And, and, and now she's saying whose kindness. So the kindness reflects back to the Lord. This word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. And he says, it has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, what does redeemer mean there? Well, this was another law for the people of God. It was known as the kinsman redeemer. And it basically meant that in those days, uh, the nearest relative was responsible to take care of their, their other relative that was in need. And so specifically, if you got into debt, you couldn't pay your, your debt back. It was, it was uh, very uh, uh, common for that person to have to sell themselves into slavery until they paid off their debt. The kinsman redeemer of that person would come into their life and buy their freedom back, pay off their debt, buy them back. Uh, the, the brother of a, a husband that died as the kinsman redeemer would come and marry his wife if she didn't have kids and, and that would allow uh, her and him to carry on their line. And so the redeemer was a big part of the nation of Israel in that culture. And so what's interesting is Boaz wasn't a brother of Elimelech. We don't, we don't really know exactly how they were related. But what we do know is that it meant that Boaz didn't directly need to step in. In other words, there were some legal 
loopholes that Boaz could jump through and, and basically say, ah, I, don't, I can't fulfill this Redeemer thing. I, I'm not gonna step in and help. In fact, we're gonna see another guy that does uh, in the coming weeks, but not him. Why? Because he's a, a worthy man. He's a good, godly, righteous man. And we're seeing that this love story is developing And we're seeing these two who, yes, fall in love. And spoiler alert, they are gonna get married and they are gonna have a son. And that son is going to be part of the line and lineage of Jesus Christ. You see, we're seeing the bigger picture. God is doing something behind the scenes in their life. Boaz is this picture of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us, like Ruth, we are foreigners. We are not a part of the family of God. We're we're worshiping idols, enemies of God, hopeless, marginalized, spiritually bankrupt and poor. And Jesus comes on the scene and he dies for us even while you and I are yet sinners. And that is love. So when the scripture here says and refers to this kindness, this Hebrew word hesed, is one of the most powerful words in really all of the Bible. A quick Google search could change your life as you study this word a little bit more. We don't even have a a translation of this word because we don't have that, this concept really in our language. But the best that we can kind of understand it is, is that this hesed is the covenantal loving kindness of God. And in this verse, Naomi is starting to realize it through the pain and the sorrow and the loss, this is the first time we see her kind of step back and go, wait a minute. I actually am beginning to see the hesed, the loving kindness of God. Through the loss of my husband, through the loss of my two children, God's not out to ruin my life. God's not out just to cause suffering for suffering's sake in my life. No, she's recognizing the loving kindness and power, the covenantal love of God. He's not angry at me. Now I'm beginning to see it. And maybe some of you, this is exactly where you need to land today. Like you need to begin to see that through the the, the circumstances of your life, this is not God angry at you. This is not God causing this pain in your life to just frustrate you for frustration's sake. No, he's doing something way bigger. You see, the remedy uh, for your frustrations and adversity and suffering in life is not just to get angry. The remedy is to recognize and see the loving kindness of God and His hand all over you. And anytime we return to that love, anytime we recognize that love, our faith grows, our spirit is encouraged, our attitude is uplifted. And when you look at the cross, when you look at what Jesus did on the cross, the most unfair, um, unjust act in the history of the world. A righteous man who was not guilty was deemed guilty and died on the cross for your sin. And when we look at that, God did not spare his own son. And yet while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. Even though you're going through a tough time, Even though things might be hard right now, God has a plan for your life. 
God loves you and his loving kindness is right within you and beside you no matter what you're experiencing. Naomi and Ruth are beginning to understand it. I pray and I hope it becomes more clear in your life today as well. I pray that you begin to see that love. I pray that you begin to see God's heart. And I pray today that if you have never experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ, that today you would do so. Jesus died on the cross, paying for your sin. He died and on the third day, he rose from the grave according to the scriptures. That means that because he's alive, your spirit can come alive today. Because he's alive, that means your sins can be forgiven. Because he's alive, that means whatever you're going through today, there is hope and there is power that you will overcome it. There is hope today that you have a home in heaven. But for some of you, maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe there's some people watching at home or listening to this, wherever you're at today, you've never made this decision. You've never given your life to Jesus. And I wanna give you that opportunity today. And so if you're here in the room, let's just bow our heads for a moment. If you're watching online, just take a moment to pause. And if you wanna commit your life to Christ today, just simply say, God, I confess that I am a sinner. Say, God, I, I need your forgiveness, forgive me. Come into my life and save me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the grave. And today I commit my life to him. Now I believe that if that is a decision that you made today, God saved you just in this moment. And we wanna encourage help in any way possible. Please do us a favor and scan that code in front of you if you're in the room. If you're online, text the number that's coming up on the screen. Let us know what God is doing in your life. We wanna pray and resource you in the best way we possibly can. With everyone's head continued to be bowed, I wonder who would say that you are going through a situation in your life, maybe not exactly like Ruth, but you can kind of identify with that pain and suffering and, and there are just some issues and you would just like some prayer today. Anybody wanna throw up their hand and just say, hey, that's me, pray for me today, Trent. Anybody at all? Thank you, thank you. Wow, all over, all over in the balcony, hands all the way. Sometimes the fire that we go through in life is lonely, frustrating, it's definitely painful. But I wanna to pray today that you would recognize the Hesed love of God. He has not left you. He is not forsaking you. Sometimes that fire is necessary to refine you, to grow you and to encourage you. But you can't see it through the windshield. So faithfully walk through the fire with God today. Lord Jesus, you saw hands all over the room. That represents thousands of needs today, God. People at home who are hurting, we need to recognize your loving kindness. And God, we have a, we have a tendency to only see the negative. We have a tendency to only see the distractions. We have a tendency to only feel the pain. 
And we are begging you, God, to give us a glimpse of your love today. Give us a glimpse of your covenantal loving kindness, God, today that we would sense you and feel you and be encouraged by you and know and recognize that you will see us through it. You will not leave us. You will never forsake us. And in this moment today, God, may we feel your power. And we pray this in Jesus' name.